Tony Marshall, he came from France. English press said he had no chance. 50 million down the drain. Tony Marshall scores again. Woo! <laughs> I have no idea. Who's that? What is that? He's a soccer player for Manchester United. Okay, all right, all right. I don't know football. No, I don't. Okay. I, I don't follow the guys, right? So I yeah. just. All right, it's good to know. Yeah. That, that's actually a beautiful it's a, it's intro. A little thank, jingle. Thank you very much, man. No problem. So if you're in the stands, that's what you'd be chanting. Yes. Okay. You'd right. have to be a couple of beers deep, but you'd or, be chanting. Or at a home couple? in his living room. <laughs> or my living room. Yeah. Thank you, COVID. Everybody, that was Oliver uh, giving us the intro to the show. And I've got another interesting show today. Where, where, where are we at, guys? We're at Woodcraft. Yes, Woodcraft. So we're going to talk a lot about what? Wood. Solid wood furniture. Solid wood furniture. So, I mean, I've been a huge fan of solid wood furniture from day one. I respect it. It's just the art, the craft, it's important. That's what it's all about here. <laughs> that was Mark speaking. So, all right, you guys want to introduce yourselves? Go ahead, Mark. Okay, uh, I'm Mark Mager. I started the company about 47 years ago, and I retired about two or three years ago, but I've come back to tell a little bit about the history, some early start, and how I learned the craft, because I didn't know it before I started the work. Things were a little different back then. Things were different. We had more time. It was a little <laughs> more laid back. And I could go into the long like, story, but after this. Got it. We'll get into all of that. I'm curious about all that. And then Oliver? Uh, my name is Oliver Kremeris. I am Mark Mager's son-in-law. When I started at Woodcraft, I was just dating his daughter. I was an accountant by trade, so I'm a qualified chartered accountant or a CPA, but the minute I got my designation, I quit, and I jumped into this industry. I'm hearing a lot of people, the minute they graduate and get a position, they quit into what they really want to do. Yeah, well, a lot of chartered accountants do that because <laughs> you don't want to be an auditor for the rest of your life. It's so I hear, trend. so I hear. Let me get out the creds here, www.woodcraft.ca, and then to reach you, it would be oliver at woodcraft.ca, yep. and then everybody knows it's on Instagram, woodcraft.ca. And then the phone number to reach out if you got any questions is 905-475-2488. Perfect. Everybody, today we're going to talk about proper furniture, wood furniture, not veneers, not that stuff that we won't say it, we won't talk about it, we'll leave it alone. Let the listeners go down memory lane here. Mark, why don't you take over and tell us how this all got started 47 years ago. Okay, I, I could start there, but I could also say that... Um I met Oliver in our kitchen one day when he came in with my daughter, and he was talking about getting out of accounting and wanted to do something on the internet. I yeah. How long ago was that? 2012. Okay, 2012. pretty recent. And I said, you know, I think the future of, of all business will be on the internet, and I wanted to get Woodcraft on the internet. We had a nice website, but I wanted to expand the business. And Oliver started thinking over, and we sort of merged our ideas, and... and uh, then he made me this offer that I've never had before or after, and he said, I'll come and work for Woodcraft for free. <laughs> Good move. <laughs> and he moved in for about three months for free and never asked for a, a paycheck and did a great job around here. I couldn't believe it. I, a guy who really had, like, no background in anything to do with design or construction or anything like this. But he seemed to learn on the job, and he would tell me he'd go out to furniture stores and look at designs and take an interest in everything that was going on, and he completely shocked me. And here he is seven years later. He owns the company completely. <laughs> very, very cool, man. Yeah. So you were basically seven years ago, eight years ago, you were paying attention to where things were changing. 
regarding how you get products in people's hands or how do you get products in front of people's eyes? Well, for me, I, uh, as I mentioned, it was just that I always knew that I wanted to run my own business. I always knew that uh, I had more to give than to be an auditor and count, you know, TikToks or whatever. Uh, uh, and so I wanted to do something where I could wear multiple hats. I wanted to work in marketing, understand manufacturing, understand accounting, you know, understand uh, various, all the aspects that a business owner has to deal with. When I met Mark, it was an easy relationship to get involved here. And uh, I just wanted to learn at the beginning and see if this was something that my skill sets, you know, benefit this company. It sort of also unlocked a creative side to me because I, uh, in terms of the furniture design and stuff like that, we've sort of evolved over time. And so we're offering a lot more contemporary furniture to appeal to a younger audience. So it was a very organic process. Was there some resistance? Because, I mean, Mark, you had the business for so long and running it a certain way, and now here comes a, another person making some suggestions. Were you... No, I think it was, we were pretty open. I, I mean, the only worry I had was that he wouldn't marry my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that was the critical point. But now they, ha now they have two kids and things to be perfect going smoothly. <laughs> and it was great. I mean, I was constantly uh, amazed that Oliver would pick up these things, learn them, I th having no background in it. If you want to hear the beginning of, the, of how Woodcraft started, it, I was sort of like Oliver. I had no background in woodworking. I couldn't build anything. So why did you get into it, Mark? Like I had graduated university in English, which is it doesn't You don't leave. have a job. I didn't have a job. <laughs> you don't and, get a job. And in the seventies, you know, you lived in the country with a bunch of your friends and had a pretty laid back life. And luckily I had a neighbor named was Ted Beeler and he was the head of the fine arts department at York University and a wood shop in which he made sculpture sculptures and at that time they had great manpower grants so that was the best job I could get and he hired me under a manpower grant to learn woodworking which I knew nothing about I had never built a thing and he brought me into his shop and he taught me some of the skills and he taught me things about precision and he taught me about wood and he gave me the Seneca woodworking handbook which taught me a lot about wood and a lot about construction did you grasp it really well? I was seemed to. Yeah. I, I, it turned me on. It yeah. turned me on. And then, he, so we were working in a shop, and he had designed a children's climber that was fairly intricate as, as like, a he was a sculptor. It was probably the, uh, the best climber ever. And I was to work with it on it, and he had plans. And um, I was in the shop about two weeks, and we started building parts to ladders and parts to uh, connectors for, for, for these things. And he said... I have to leave. I'm going with uh, a Buddhist Rinpoche to Peru to uh, go to the top of the mountains where I'm going to learn something about astral traveling. And I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, well, you have the plans. You know, you can build the, uh, <laughs> you can build the um, climbers. He felt you were ready, though. Is that what it was? He felt you were ready? That I he think he just had like faith in the universe. Okay, like a sensei. I was like, that's exactly yeah. it. You are ready, Jedi. Just take care of things now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he takes off, and, I, and I'm at my farm, and I walk across this little bridge in the country and go into his barn where he's got all his tools. And I start working every day, and then a friend of mine came in. And he worked in the TD Tower, and he was in currency and commodity trading. He, in fact, it was about 1973 or 4, he told me 
that gold's going to be, you know, not going to be $32 an ounce anymore. You should buy gold. <laughs> of course, I didn't listen to it. I stayed with the woodworking. <laughs> Different kind of gold. And since he was in the TD Tower, he put an ad. He said, oh, maybe we can get some business. And he put an ad in the TD Tower bulletin. And we got a call from a lawyer who said, um, I need a desk. And I had never really built any kind of even... Uh, I don't know if I'm going on too long with this. No, no, this is amazing. I love this. I had never built a, a desk, never built a, like any kind of bench, but I sort of was bluffing my way, and I went into the office, and Fake he shows me it. a little... Sorry, what was that, Alvin? Fake it till you make it. No, that's just how it works, man. You he always sh- say yes. He showed me, a, a, what was it, a telephone table. He said, I want it in this design. He said, I used to work for... Like what the best lawyer in, in, in Ontario, J.J. Robinette. I don't know what he was, like head litigator or something like that. I'm not sure what. He was very, he was very famous. But he wanted the same desk as his uh, mentor, J.J. Robinette, but he wanted it a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> of so course. So I had to get some ego into this desk. So I took the, uh, so I said, okay, I'll have a look. So I, I, I took the telephone table home and I lived with a guy who was an artist and he did a beautiful watercolor of a full-size desk. And I went back and I said, and I figured it, if I couldn't make it, I could have it made if I charged him, you know, charged him enough. So I went down and I said it would be fifteen hundred dollars. And he said, Okay, I'll have your secretary, I'll have your secretary make a um, a checkout for seven fifty and this bring was it back. this was nineteen seventy four. $1,500 back in 1974. It was a, a good, fair amount of money. Yeah, I thought someone would make it for, for him. Sure. And, he, and we wanted to make it out of, uh, out of black walnut, which I knew nothing about. <laughs> anyway, I sort of scraped through, as I was working um, in Ted's shop building climbers, in the evening I would work on this desk, and it took me about six weeks. So I had these beautiful legs turned by a professional turner with fluting on them and all that read my book and learned how to make uh, drawers with, um, with dovetails in them, looked for walnut, and at that time, Oliver Lumber was a good supplier of walnut. Yep. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still around. They still are. Yeah, a lot of guys still use Oliver Lumber for sure. And that, but they didn't have what I needed, so they suggested I go to the Mennonites. They might have some. And I ended up at a Mennonite's barn, and I went into the, into the loft in the barn, and they pulled out some uh, walnut, and I brought it home. And I laminated it into a tabletop. That was pretty cool. Made an OG edge around the top. Made some trim around the doors and around the base. And then I was wondering about how to um, how to construct this table so it would be strong and sturdy forever. Out of my own my, in, in my own mind, I said, "Well, I'm going to make like a sub frame underneath the tabletop." And I made it out of like inch or inch and a quarter thick oak. I screwed like number 12 screws. They were really big, thick screws. Four of them threw the, threw the oak into the walnut tabletop. All got done. The, the drawers got done. I delivered it. So I delivered it to uh, the, TD set, the TD Tower, which I think is about as arid as like any desert, like the Sahara <laughs> Desert. So it's really dry. They paid me the money. I put in this big, beautiful table that was... Uh, I can only imagine how heavy the table was. It was gorgeous, yes. Yeah. And took it up to wherever it was, the 30th floor, and planted it there. Got paid, and it was a fabulous start. And I got a call about a, a month later from the secretary who said, I think you better come down and see this tabletop. What, what happened? And what I, happened? 
I went down and I saw the tabletop had shrunk. It had a gap about a half, run, a half inch wide, running the whole length of the table. The secretary said, when it cracked, like everyone working on the 30, 30th floor of the TD Tower jumped out of their chairs. Because <laughs> wow. it was so loud. Oh, Jesus. I, didn't, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's appropriate for a, for a podcast. Um, so then I uh, brought the table back, and I, and I took a router and took a straight edge and, and, and routered out the whole center of the table and put a, another piece of wood in and took it back. And it was very heavy, as you say, and fixed it up. That certainly tar- tar- you know, taught me my first lesson about uh, the nature of wood. You have to work with the wood, not against it. And that huge frame that I made was what brought this table down. <laughs> it was fighting of, it. It, it was structurally making it sound, but it was fighting the walnut. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why when it finally gave out, it was so crazy. It actually split once, one other time after that, but that was <laughs> less. A minor crack? Or a, like mi- a, a minor crack. I still have to bring but it back I mean, to that's, the shop. That's walnut, though. I mean, walnut's supposed to have character like that. Was he? I guess he's still... He still loved it, though. It, it was too much character. Too yeah. much character. <laughs> too much character. That's what happens when you want a bigger boss. Uh, <laughs> a bigger desk. Boss. How yeah. much bigger did you make it, Mark? Then the... I don't know. what. Then the, I don't know. Bigger was inches. enough. Bigger was <laughs> enough. It, it only had to be bigger. I don't know how much bigger. So I started the business out of there, and, and from there, uh, we ended up in a barn. Someone found a barn at Markham Road and Steel's and said... We could have it for free if we wanted to start a shop. We had to clean it out first because there had been a chinchilla ranching operation in there before. So it was full of cages and garbage. (laughs) And they cleaned it out and let us learn for free in there. And and we did that for for years. And um, I was just like picturing this romantic setting of a barn and you building handcrafted furniture. And then you told me about the chinchilla cages and yeah, well, it we just, them out. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty romantic. I mean, it's full of great stories, but I, I think we learned through mistakes, very similar and, and just as big as, as that first mistake we had, we learned through all our mistakes. But that's the fine art of craftsmen. Like when you work with wood or work with anything, it's just, that's how you learn. Trial That's and how error. you learn, trial and error. Yeah. We, we once built a kitchen at the Hyatt where I left my partner at the time to, uh, to finish it off, and he was, he was a lazy guy. So we, we had used <laughs> piano hinges. Ex-partner. Don't, don't hold back, Mark, by the way. <laughs> just, like, just reveal everything you want to reveal. <laughs> so we had piano hinges, and he only used the screws in like every fifth hole. Yes. And so I got a call from when I'm away that said like all the – doors had fallen off at the Hyatt Regency kitchen because we hadn't done it properly. We learned to put in enough screws. But the best part about the the barn was that you finally cleaned it all up, you furnished it with some furniture, you came back on a Monday and somebody broke in and stole all your merchandise. No. First weekend we were open as a retail operation, yeah. We put everything into it, someone busted in and stole everything, yeah. Oh, man. But that's business, right? You just have to keep going. Yeah. Sort of just take it on the chin and keep moving forward. I think that that's probably what has enabled us to sort of still be around for all this time is that you get hit by big blows, but somehow you just sort of, you know, you get that visors on and you just concentrate on what you can control. Well said. No, it's true. Did you guys ever find the pieces? 
<laughs> I don't know. Before my time, I was yeah, probably before, his, before he was. It was born. just right now. Someone, <laughs> yeah. someone has those pieces in their home right now, and they have no idea how they got them. Right? It was shocking. <laughs> I was. I can imagine you guys opening up the door and then gone. Well, yeah, we had built a showroom. We had put up some walls. I mean, you know, d- did it on a the lowest budget you could imagine. Did it all on, on available materials, and and then we got into and then we got into country furniture which we're not into anymore we change with the times as styles change the market wasn't really i guess i'm just speaking for greater toronto area i guess the market wasn't asking for that anymore yeah when things started changing Changed right in the 90s yeah oliver you coming in here and mm-hmm. you're seeing what you want to contribute yeah you're paying attention to where the digital age is going and where your demographic is, right? Because I'm assuming right. you guys have a wide range of demographic. You're not just catering to one segment out there. No, we because we're so custom, we're, we, that's our sort of our competitive advantage is that you can get something traditional or you can get something super modern. So we cater to everybody. So what's nice for me is, is that when I came in here, it was as simple as like, would I buy this? And if it's not something that I would buy, then let me put something on the floor that I like. And then the gratification of somebody who has no idea about their skill set, putting something on the floor and it's selling, it's a boost to your ego. Oh, for sure. But uh, you're, you're also like, okay, let's see if I can you know, try it again and again and see if it wasn't dumb luck or if there's something to it. For me... I really just try and put stuff out on the floor that like I would want in my house or catches my eye and uh, I let you know uh, people influence me and sort of ideas percolate over time but at the end of the day if I don't like it I'm not going to put it on the floor yeah. and Mark was the same way with Jack so um, Jack is his business partner and the three of us ran it for about six years before uh, they exited I mean yes coming in here Mark and Jack had very different opinions to me about what I think would sell. And also, you know, at the beginning, they're like, this, how does this kid know about a table? What would sell? I've been doing this for so so long. And it, it's a valid point, right? Uh, um, I disagree. I'll let anybody, doesn't matter who it is, at what age or if you're starting or ending, you've got a thought to share and you want to yeah. contribute, I'll listen. I won't dismiss. Right. It, it but just, it's all about like, floor space too so you have a limited amount that you can show on a floor and so to invest the money to build it it just the idea can go out but like i wanted them in like implemented i wanted to see it and so it took time for them to uh, trust my judgment but once you had a piece sell and then another piece sell and another piece sell was it balancing out after that yeah i think so and also like you know they they wanted they wanted that burden off of them. These guys did an amazing job running this company for 40 plus years by the time I got involved. For, I think for the 40th anniversary, I threw a surprise party. So they had no idea what was happening. <laughs> and they were, I think you were coming back from Florida at the time or something like that. And I just had everybody who's ever been involved in Woodcraft show up and surprise these guys for the 40th birthday party's uh, anniversary. But That must mm, have been amazing. It is. It is. Oliver does all sorts of amazing things. <laughs> he adds a lot to the business that we didn't that we didn't do. You're you're taking it to another level now. You're taking it yeah. to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. You know, now that it's just me at the top, I have nobody to blame. It's all my fault at the end of the day, right? I can't say that 
you know, Mark or Jack wouldn't let me do this, or this isn't this way because somebody else has the decision making. It's, it's all my responsibility. So that's like a little bit of fear in me that I know that like I'm responsible for everything. And so that fear motivates me to consistently try and keep this place afloat. Like a custodian, if it's been around for 40 years, like, I mean, I need it to last at least 10, 15 years, right? Uh, obviously, I want it to go for another 40 years, yep. but uh, uh, that fear sort of motivates me to consistently be obsessed with the business. I heard something that Kobe Bryant would talk about his craft and like how obsessed he was and it's all in the details and it's all constant. And even like the most talented people, it's not enough. You need to have that drive to continuously want to improve. And so for me, I try to motivate uh, the staff to do that. And so we're constantly trying to improve. We have weekly meetings where everybody in the, on the team has to contribute one positive idea and then they have a week to implement it. And so we're constantly like trying to yeah. improve, yeah. And that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. I'm like, we're in the showroom. I, I totally forgot. We haven't even told anybody, but we're right in the showroom recording the podcast right here in the showroom. Yeah. And you guys gave me a tour of the behind-the-scenes facilities. And part of the reason why I do this podcast is so I can get those invites into those little areas where I start to see little details, right? right. I want to get into your clientele comes in here. Do you see it on their faces? Like, do they appreciate the quality that's attached to this? Yeah. Or do they look at the sticker price and go, OMG, I can't really justify that? I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to get uh, a spectrum of people that come in here. But the people that buy from us, quality is of the utmost importance to them. And this is not a place we have to be pushing people to buy. So the staff, as long as they're knowledgeable, the product will sell itself. If they can just guide the customer through the process and say like hey manny you like this table okay great and you're going to ask me like what's it made of white oak what size does it come in 10 sizes and then walk you through that process nobody has to push you to buy it because you see the value in it for us it's like uh, it's super cool to be involved in a company where you believe so much in the product where you don't have to be ashamed or scared or concerned because you know that it's an honest day's work, and you're producing a good quality product that's going to last them a lifetime. So in the beginning, Mark, how many different species of wood were you using? Because I'm assuming nowadays, Oliver, you're using far more species. You're offering more ideas. We use local wood, but let me just um, clarify something. When I mentioned before that I had a lazy partner, it wasn't the partner that, <laughs> that Oliver was talking no about. Problem. It wasn't Jack. It was before Jack. Okay. okay. Uh, we clarified and, that. And also, just to clarify, Jack is never going to hear this podcast. <laughs> the chances of him hearing this podcast are very slim. <laughs> considering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. Let's get back to wood. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think... I guess we, in the beginning, you were focusing uh, on certain species of wood, right? Yes, local woods. Local woods. So we were we were local craftsmen. We Which kept, is great that you were focusing on that local. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, that was our niche. I, I think we talked about it before that um, we couldn't go up against mass manufacturers, people who were making it in North Carolina at the time, which eventually moved to China. We just wanted to keep it local and crafty, and, and I think my accountant uh, kept us focused on, on the business. I mean, as we went in, there's all sorts of divergences you can, 
you think will make you money, but we just kept, stayed with the style that, that we had at the time. Um, and, and that was our identity and that was our image. And so we were using mainly pine and oak. Uh, cherry was expensive. We didn't get into the really expensive stuff. At the time, looked like people wanted us things that were not so expensive. So we just stayed with pine and oak, mostly pine. Um, and a little bit of cherry and walnut never because it was too expensive. Was Everything it white, has changed white oak now. back then? Mm -hmm. Back red in the day? Oak. No, it was red oak, red right? Oak. It was red oak. Red oak. Uh, red oak. It would have yeah. been red oak, okay? But nowadays, so today, and, and for the last, I guess, whatever, 20 years, you're, you're dealing with ash, walnut. Yeah, maple. Maple. maple different wood. versions of yeah. maple. Yeah, wormy maple. The little <laughs> no, no, no! You got to stay on the mic. Oh, right. You know, we start. They oh. start veering off and start touching wood. Right? You got to veer off. Uh, no, yeah. you got wormy maple. You got walnuts. You got you got cherry in here too. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, yeah, lots of cherry. Oh, and then white oak. White oak. Uh, we got. Uh, Do you guys get into the, any of the uh, the exotics, the African mahoganies, or the no, sapia? No. Well, so that's what's so cool about what this company was. Like before, you know, millennials got involved and everything needed to be local and locally sourced and locally made. And that was like this huge selling point. They, they, we've been doing that for 40 years. So it was like, yeah, that's what you do. You make a, an honest living. You, you support your local community. But the millennials didn't want that. No, they did. But they, they make did. it seem as if it's a new idea. But it isn't. It's been around since day one. Yeah. I just I just noticed that a lot of the time people are like, oh, we're a local company. We're, we're, They're yeah. surprised to hear that. Yeah, people want to buy within 100 miles if it's made within 100 miles or grown within 100 miles. But we were doing that yeah. since the beginning, maybe for different reasons. Although, and even way back in the early 90s, we won waste reduction awards and things like that because we we're conscious of it. Good for you guys. Mm -hmm. Can you both walk me through the decades here? I'm just trying to get a sense of how the furniture, because you guys do the dining tables, obviously, the chairs, you're doing bedrooms, you're doing dressers, you're doing all kinds. Am I missing anything? Uh, we do some entertainment units. Entertainment units. We do lots of custom work. So custom people bring work. us pictures and say, build this, we'll do it. You do some fancy stuff for, for embassies. Yeah. You do yeah. a copy of Putin's desk. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty wild. <laughs> really? With, with so, someone asked for a copy of Putin's gold desk? and Ormolu in what it. What if Putin's people find out? <laughs> it's kind of ironic because the guy who bought it from me, he was one of the founding one of the founding staff at Wayfair. So that's like fast furniture. And then this guy comes to like this really high end place to buy his furniture and he said he wants a replica of Putin's desk. <laughs> And this was like right at the beginning when um, COVID hit and, you know, like when everything shut down and I was like, oh, am I going to take on this project? And it's like gold everywhere and it's got pillars and it's an L-shaped desk and tears. And I knew <laughs> and I was like, the, the, this is like a $20,000 desk. And I didn't. And, I, and this guy, like you would think he would be Russian, but by his last name, he isn't. And so, so he just loved that desk. He said he originally wanted the Resolute desk in the White, White House, but he realized that it, uh, he couldn't get anyone to replicate it. So then he saw Putin's desk, and then he said he wanted that desk. I threw out a number, and he said yes, and then we just had to and you made get it. to it. Yeah, we installed it. We got to his house, similar story to Mark, and it had all this gold leafing on it, and we wrapped it too soon, and all of it smudged off, and we had to take it back. 
and we had to redo it, and Ouch. we had to deliver it the ne- uh, like a week later. But he was a super cool guy. About it, he was totally And cool. he was a young guy, so age profile, you're talking about like a 34-year-old guy? When they have a vision, they have a vision, that's it. They just want to find somebody that can make that vision happen. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's very cool. So, so do you want to hear about the evolution of... Well, I, I was curious about if you can think of, because I, I would have Through the known. decades? Yeah, I was thinking, what would have been big in furniture back in the 70s, 80s, 90s? Okay. What was the one thing that stood out in each of those decades? So in the 70s, it was only pine. And there were a few, uh, there were a few people manufacturing... Pine and you know like round tables and gunstock chairs that were copies of uh, antiques. That was big, and then we got into a bedroom. It was pine through the 70s and pine through the 80s. It became a little more sophisticated, and even in the 90s, it was still pine and a little bit of oak. But people weren't paying more money for oak, so it was mostly pine. And I guess around 95 or 97. We noticed that we had we used to be selling harvest tables like 120, 150 harvest tables a year, and it was dropping from 150 to uh, to 120 to 90, and the price was going from a thousand dollars. We were making good money on it at the time, and we would drop it down to 899 and 799, but still the numbers kept dropping and dropping, and then. Uh, you know, it eventually clicked that um, the, it was out of fashion, so we went into, uh, tried maple. We had had maple on our price list, like we'd had a, a regular, I don't know, whatever it was, a, a 42 by 72 inch maple table. It's like $3,200, it was pretty expensive. And that would have been hard white maple, and, and uh, we found we could make it for, we could sell it for $1,800. So instead of selling it for $3,200, we put it, in our ads, so it was 40% off. <laughs> <laughs> so we took our $3,200 table and, and sold it for 40% off, and we got mobbed. It completely changed the business. And then we started getting into maple. It was a really tough transition into maple. Finishing was tough. The Maple's dust, a tough wood to work with when it comes to staining and to finishing. staining especially. It is horrible. a very difficult wood. It was horrible. And we would sometimes finish tables, you know, five, six, seven times because you'd get a drop of dust on it would ruin the table. Yeah. It took years to learn. Now Oliver's got it down, you know. It's just funny that you brought up the harvest and I just realized that I had a client four years ago buy a table from you guys and there was a specific one. And they made it. It was for a basement that I did that basically looked like a first floor, but it had to have been about 12 feet long. Cool. It, was, it was a beautiful table, and I just remember that it was it was your, it's your table. I know that. Right. Uh, but I was actually when it came to the decades, I was thinking more about the design features, like what was different in the seventies and eighties and nineties and then two thousands. Like what would I'm assuming? I mean, you had cannonball beds at some point. Yeah, I don't know we what had those cannonball like. beds, right? Cannonball beds. Can- cannonball. Can- beds. Cannonball. <laughs> What's it? I don't know. You pronounce it. I was it's like a cannonball. Did you say cannibal? Cannon? No, not cannibal. cannibal. Not Hannibal. Cannibal. Cannonball. Like a yeah, cannonball. They had, they had big round things at the top of the turned. Yes. Uh, they had, you know, turnings uh, for all four corners. And so that would have been big in the seventies, seventies and eighties. Eighties, yeah. And what was the the pickled? What do you call it? Pickled green or something? Pickled, pi- pickled, pickled pine. That would have been eighties, wouldn't yeah. it? The pickled, probably in pickled the pine. Yeah. Yeah. And then 90s would have been Those more. Are all, that's a finishing technique. That's a, yeah, yeah, but then uh, 90s, I'm assuming whitewashed oak? We started to get into oak. But then the ma- but maple caught on around 97, okay. and our whole business changed. And 
it, it was a difficult transition. It were years, tough years, when we to make that transition. But it started to work out in the 2000s, and I mean, it's evolved immensely. I mean, now, the business doesn't look like it did 20 years ago. Oh, that's right. Around 1980, we made a beautiful catalog. It was, it was quite expensive, tons of photography, $40,000, $50,000 to make the catalog. And we used it with the same product for about 16, 17 years. We have <laughs> thousands of them made up every year. We hand them out to all the customers, and it really worked well for us. People would, we'd go to home shows and people would walk it, you know, walk away with the catalog and walk into the stores. But the business has changed. I mean, now the product changes all the time. And uh, we don't have catalogs anymore. We just have a website. No, yeah. it's just a website now and images and things like that, right? So everyone, but everyone, I'm assuming you're still inviting people in here, right? They're still allowed in here or not allowed? Yeah, for that, sure. No, because you want people to actually see, touch, feel the table. So, and I the mean, furniture. we do sell long distance. So we sell all over North America. Yeah, We've I was surprised to hear that. Yeah, so we sell to like, like we got orders going out next week to Utah, Houston, LA, we got to San Francisco in the back. So people find us, they find us online, they find us on Instagram, they find us on house. You know, it's funny, like every time you try something new, there's always a disaster that starts at the beginning. So when I got involved in the business, I signed us up on house and we sold the first sale we had on house was like our most expensive table. It's called the Metro Chrome table. We didn't know much about shipping. We found like a broker who sort of would sort of told us what to do. And Where was it headed? Houston. Houston. Okay. It gets to the receiver in Houston and we get an email from the Please don't interior tell me. designer. And they said, you know, the, the table arrived, but it came in the most unusual of circumstances. It came in, it came in a refrigerated truck. And the packaging is now stuck to it, and so we have to wait for it to thaw out. <laughs> Miraculously, this thing didn't crack, but the finish was like it was a dark maple table. Luckily, we there was some guy local there that was able to respray it, and we were able to deliver it to the customer. It didn't crack because of the packaging. I we uh, it should have cracked. It should have. Eh? Yeah, I think somebody was, was looking yeah. down on us or something like that. But, cool. but packaging is really hard when you have a 300-pound top and you put it in a box and you don't want the friction to rub away the surface and the lacquer. I mean, it's so easy to get any kind of minor scratch on it and completely, you know, in the customer's eyes, ruin the table. Do you get some of those chinchillas and put them in there from the barn way back we when? We stuff it with chinchillas, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, that's just a suggestion. I'm not into brokerage or packaging or anything like that, but that's my first thought. I can see you've got a business mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine how stressful that is that you, I mean, you've got this beautiful table and you've got to get it to point B. Yeah. And then you've got to, it's almost like, here, take off and then pray, pray, it's pray. Like, uh, like as you saw in the back, we custom make oh, yeah. these skids for each table to go into it. And it's like before it even goes in that skid, we're wrapping the shit out of it. You have to. In all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We got sheets. It's sort of, it's almost like toilet paper. It's that soft. I mean, then we're adding on foam. Then we're adding on edge board protectors. We're putting cardboard all the way on top of the top of the table. We're shrink wrapping it. Then we're placing it in a in, in like a fortress of plywood on all four sides on a skid. It's elevated off the ground so that a forklift can go into it because sometimes the forklift guys decide to just nail it. And at the end of the day, you're still sending these really expensive tables and all you can do is pray because whatever they say is covered in insurance. It's not. 
By the time that gets resolved, your customer wants a brand new table. And so you're just like, it's just like rolling the dice. You're getting a phone call either way if it's arrived perfectly or if it's arrived with some sort of surprise. Yes. I mean, usually <laughs> you don't hear from... No news is good news. Oh, really? So if yeah. it arrives and everything's good, you don't hear from them? Most of the time. I mean, people are usually thrilled because it's for them it's kind of risky, too, to buy something this expensive sight unseen for it to go all that way. They're usually super excited about it, and we do get lots of those calls. Yeah. I know that we're talking about all these disastrous things, and I don't want people out there to think no, that it's... No, no, but that's how you learn. Like we right. said, yeah. it's really important. Man. Right. I, I think it's important to share But that. I also think that like the people that have made this far in business they don't have to sort of flex that everything is hunky-dory all yes. the time the people that can sit around the table like this and say this is where we messed up but look we've been here for so long it sort of speaks for itself you um, stand behind all of it too oh yeah so it's I not mean, like you're gonna just dismiss them and move on no our reputation's worth more than a, a table yeah so i mean that's how we look at it but yes shipping stuff the funny thing about the shipping industry is just um how Amazon and all these companies have implemented this concept of free shipping and people believe it because nothing is free in life. So free shipping, they're just hiding it in the cost of whatever you're buying. It sort of is taught the society that free shipping exists. <laughs> but it really, it's like they're saying to you, just lie to me about how much the price costs and tell me that it's free shipping. And it's sort of like this this weird thing that's happening. But it's out still there. free shipping. Yeah, exactly. It's always going to be free shipping yes. at that point. Yeah. So we have a a lot of organization around logistics, and besides shipping it, we have white glove services in cities all over. Someone unpacks it, unpacks it from the crate, and sets it up in the person's house. So it's it's very complicated. Yeah, they usually take pictures of the of it when it arrives on their dock to send to us confirmation yeah and also if there's little problems like small yeah. stuff they can get it touched up before it goes yeah. and stuff like that yeah you can imagine i mean you send something you know, well it's thousands of miles away yeah. and it's got a little scratch on it and you can't find someone who's skilled enough to fix it and they've got to send it all the way back and that shipping's expensive risky business the longest time. i we guess you guys should implement that white glove service with the rolls royce whereas that there's that one individual that does all the pinstriping on the rolls royce and he's flown everywhere in the world to do it oh yeah i'm not saying but well, maybe he needs the equipment <laughs> wherever he goes <laughs> he takes it with him right he's bringing it with him we, but we, a mistake we made with you remember with the chrome table was someone who lives in las vegas wanted the same style but they wanted it done i think in stainless steel which you had made, you recall that, and mm -hmm. and then the with about a twelve foot top on it or a fourteen foot top, and so it had flex in it. So people would sit at the table with their wine glasses, and the table would rock because <laughs> because the, the the chrome base was it was built on top of whatever cast iron or something, but the stainless steel had flex. Those guys actually ran a credit card merchandise processing company. And so they were like the first people to ever administer a chargeback on us. Yeah. And so we were like, never had a chargeback before, but we found out that they, it was like, I don't know, we had no chance of like fighting it because these guys ran the, the company. <laughs> and we're like, who are we arguing <laughs> well, with? Well, I guess you're meeting all sorts of people, like different kinds of clientele. You guys are coming across all kinds of people yeah. here. Yeah, we actually made a desk once for uh, the Canadian ambassador to London. England, which was cool. Wow. So we had it 
it was custom made. It was like an L-shaped desk. Which prime minister did he or she want to copy in? Um, no, original. She was an original, or he was an original. Yeah, so that was uh, that was pretty cool. We do work with the Canadian government from time to time, but that's easy because we just send it to Ottawa and then they ship it out. But they're they're really focused on supporting Canadian manufacturers. So like they're like we have some orders going to uh, Senegal and to Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, to the two capitals there for the ambassadors. They've ordered a bunch of stuff which is really cool. So they're like, the Canadian government is actually supporting local businesses and buying high-end Canadian-made solid wood furniture, which is pretty Which cool. is great that they yeah. do one or two good things. Yes, you know? <laughs> that's, true. that's true. But I mean, with your pieces, your furniture pieces, I'm assuming that when clients see it online or they come in person, it's really, it becomes like a love of the product and almost an obsession of the product. Like they've got to have, they love this, they see it, this is what I want. Is that the kind of vibe? That's what I get when I yeah. saw your products first. That's what I saw. I mean, everybody does that thing when they move, when they walk in, and they just you want to touch it. You just touch it. You right? just touch it. That's you all it is. You just touch it, and you're like, yeah, that's that's it. That's yeah. the that's the feeling I was looking for. Right. So no, that's the other sorry. thing about this company and the solid wood aspect of it. And you talked about it earlier about the veneers and and we don't have any veneers. We don't have any composite boards underneath. You know, a veneer that could be a thirty second or a sixty fourth of an inch thick. With, which is also put together with like toxic chemicals, glues, and stuff like that. Everything that we have here is solid, so that makes us quite unique. Well, the thing is that visually, I already see it because I'm in the industry, so I can yeah. already appreciate that. If if I saw veneers, I would notice it right off the bat. And I know that a lot of people that are in industry they work with veneers because it's just cost. Like for them to come up with yes, certain for sure. accent walls, or we get into the place where people are not just doing standard paint grade built-ins. They want white. White oak is everybody wants white oak these days, yeah. right? That's just how it is. But then you start fighting the white oak grains, and they're choosing veneers, and then you're getting a, a lift of veneers, and you're right. putting these veneers together, and you're trying to figure out which pattern looks the best. You guys are dealing with a solid piece of natural lumber. Mm -hmm. That And you can see it and feel it at the same time that it is that way. That's where the appreciation is. And I know when you guys took me in the back there, how many different finishes you guys had? Like, there was a whole wall there. <sighs> we have about 16 different stains that we offer in five to seven different woods. We try to pare down the stains, but customers keep trying to bring them back. The permutations are endless. I mean, if you can think about it in terms of if you're offered 20 sizes seven woods 16 stains that's a crazy combination <laughs> yeah and so for us like the the organization and the processes are critical in order to get this thing through the shop in the right color the right size the right stain i mean there's so many choices uh you can choose different handles and uh, yeah it's uh it's it's just a lot of organization that we have to sort of implement throughout the shop i think i i warned oliver Many times, many times, as I, as I was leaving the business, he was taking it over. I said, get rid of the custom work. It's, it's fraught with mistakes. <laughs> There's all sorts of opportunity to blow it. I guess it's a double edge, though, because I think it's what's making the business grow. You yeah. tell me, Oliver. I think that our competitive advantage has to be custom furniture. Like yeah. for us, though, and what Mark is pointing out is like to us, uh, p taking a table and choosing a size and a stain that isn't custom to us because we're at an another level so for us it's like give me a picture and let me replicate it so we've never built it before 
and we're just uh, we'll do a drawing and then we'll build it. And so that's like that's what he's saying to try and avoid, like the Putin table. He's saying don't <laughs> do the Putin table, right? And he takes on all sorts of jobs that I wouldn't. Right. <laughs> but you do it for the challenge. Yeah. And like, you learn. And you learn from and it. And you learn from it. And for the guys in the back, you know, it's be good. Like for them, they also, they're, they're young guys and like they don't want to do the same thing every no. day. I mean, so. do you guys want to build a thousand billy cases? Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. I would drive myself crazy if I was that was the case, right? Yeah. I'd rather try to challenge here, you know. Yeah. Well, the challenge is fun. I mean, maybe when you get a little bit wiser, you, you don't want the challenge anymore. But at yeah, this point, I, I wouldn't I'm call them young and naive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, not going to go there. But you should shop a woodcraft now. <laughs> <laughs> did you, it's like Mark, did you ever see woodcraft being at this point? Did you ever, when you started it back in the 70s? Absolutely not. Yeah? Absolutely not. I you had no killing, idea where I was killing time. I didn't have a job. Yeah. No, there were certain things that took, you know, helped us take off. Was it when Oliver started with the new ideas that you started picturing Woodcraft can go to different heights, different levels? After a while, after a while, I, you know, we laid back and let, just let him loose. And he made a lot of changes. And he, he was different with the, uh, with the personnel, with the people who worked here. Probably better. I mean, people stayed with Woodcraft. I mean, we had an average of like 20 years and, you know, everyone stayed. But I think Oliver's bringing more out of them. He's... He's bringing more um, talent that people have that they were just suppressing. And he's creating stronger individuals. And I think they're doing better now. So we're having uh, one of our guys is retiring on Thursday. 32 years he's been here. Wow. He's moving to Edmonton uh, with his mom to take care of his mom, be closer to their family. It was supposed to be a surprise party, but one of the other guys in the back ruined it for him. And so his mom. So did you fire him? <laughs> no, I, he's he. I can see in his eyes that he's scared to come close to me. <laughs> he feels so, so bad. Huh? I hope he feels bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, so that's sort of like a testament to how long people stay around. And um, the other thing is just about Mark and Jack and letting me do stuff. They usually tour, towards the end would go to Florida, but at different times. So they would make sure that one person was here to watch over me. And one year towards the end, <laughs> they didn't do that. And I was left here All with by the yourself. keys. And I looked around, and this place in the front, there was a green carpet because it used to be a, uh, a putting green for a golfing store. And these guys kept it here all this time, and there were carpets all throughout the showroom. And so when they left, I brought in all the old employees and we all did like a ceremonial ripping up of the carpet. <laughs> we videotaped it. We did it in slow-mo. Everyone was like ripping out pieces. And so when they came back, yeah. we took a piece of the old green carpet and we cut it into a heart. And we framed it and we gave it to both Mark and Jack. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Am I fair to assume that while you guys were in Florida, you guys were actually golfing while he was back here ripping apart the yeah. green here? Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that's yeah, another company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of talent here. They didn't need us. We were already getting a that's long in the funny. tooth. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys gave me the tour in the back there, and I was impressed to see the booths that you guys yeah. have. So the whole assembly. I don't know. Do you guys want to divulge a little bit about that? Sure. Other than the building permit sign that I saw on it, 
Oh my god! Because <laughs> I didn't realize that you need a building permit for a a spray booth or a finishing booth, but you do. Apparently, you do, and apparently, it takes years for it to close because of <laughs> COVID. It's just slowed everything down. So that would be great if we could get that closed. But yeah, so we so Mark had implemented this assembly line that runs throughout the back, and that really helps us with the organization of the furniture so that it's not loose and running around. Before they left, they, don't, they didn't like to listen to me about my ideas, but there's one guy, his name's Richard, and he's an old friend of theirs, and he knows a lot about woodworking. And he came in one day, and I just happened to be in there, and he said, you guys, you should build an enclosed spray booth. And they turned to me and they said, all right, let's do it. And that was it. And I just went and found a great team, Elite Air, came in here, family-run business like us, and they hooked us up with an awesome spray booth. It is huge. built to incorporate the assembly line that's been here since the late 80s. Yeah, it's sort of when we're talking about maple tables and doing like 12-foot black painted tables, we're only able to achieve that just because of the equipment that we've managed to invest in over the years. I like that. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. like just in the back in terms of the manufacturing, that's sort of we're concentrating on uh, constantly improving and building jigs and things like that to help move the furniture and get it through the shop in an efficient manner. So everything is on wheels. Wheels is God's gift to manufacturing. <laughs> it just can help us so easily because we want these guys to be concentrating on their craft and minimize the amount of time that they're wasting lugging heavy furniture yeah i mean that could be hard on people lifting 300 pound tabletops on a daily basis on a daily basis i mean yeah. wear you out how i don't know how you get through a day do you guys want to talk a little more about your team i mean because you've yeah. got artisans back there right you've got craftspeople back there yeah and i mean they i guess they all come locally they're all from around here or, yeah. or maybe some have traveled yeah the, a lot of them uh they're they're local i mean a lot of them could be immigrants and stuff like that that come to the country that they want to learn something new and uh, we take them on without any experience and we nurture them and they just turn out to be great hard-working guys want to learn want to be part of something not just a cog in a massive wheel they sort of see their that they're contributing that everybody here matters like I mean, our delivery guys are amazing. The fact that uh, we do all of our installations in the GTA ourselves, we don't outsource that. Uh, and these guys are lifting heavy furniture. They're really nice guys. And, you know, we constantly get compliments from our customers about how nice they are and also that they're on time. Like we do two hour windows in Toronto. Whoa. When have you ever had a two hour no, window you in don't. Toronto? Nobody gives that. No. No. And we're there within those two hours. We're it's amazing. In and out. So you got a whole department that's taking care of scheduling. Yeah. We have somebody in the front, Sarah, who's okay. fantastic. She's probably still working right now. She's <laughs> amazing. And she sets up all the deliveries. She handles all the long distance stuff. And sort of, you know, we're we're, we're really focused on our team and, and sort of celebrating them whenever we can. Like during COVID, it was, it was like a different proposition because these people had to come back and work. They had to come back and work when they didn't know when, when vaccines weren't around. And I just felt that like there's like a certain level of loyalty that I needed to acknowledge. And uh, yeah, we gave out the probably the biggest bonuses we ever did that year because we were just like we wanted to be remembered 
Like I wanted to know or be remembered, like what did I do during COVID? And if I managed to make sure that my team was supported, that they were comfortable, that they did, that had that financial burden wasn't, uh, was off the table. Like I, for what they helped us do during this time, I, I did it. So you guys didn't pull back. You guys just pushed forward. You guys kept things going. Yeah. Well, so it, right at the beginning, everything shut down. Yeah, of course. And then the sort of global macro events happened. So nobody was traveling anymore and people still wanted to spend their money. And so they started focusing on renovations, furniture, anything for the home. Once we opened up around May 19th and stuff like that, it was just like a, a huge surprise that we would benefit from this huge macro shift that was like beyond our control. It's sort of like dumb luck that we happen to be in these industries that just got to benefit from it. But I wanted to give back, and I, I, we had a, a coffee table that we raised money and we gave it to like a local shawarma place by these two, uh, uh, an amazing couple. But I just gave them all the money. I said, nice. This is for you guys, because like, you know, small businesses during this time, like, they were they were hurting, they were struggling. Yeah, it was really. Yeah. I felt bad because I like those first few weeks of COVID when it shut down, like I had the same fears that everybody else did who ran a small business. You didn't know what was going to happen. You were sort of stuck in your home. For me, the situation got better a lot faster than a lot of people that are still struggling. So trying to help out whenever I can. Have you guys um, ever had a client come in or online speak and wanted something you just couldn't do it? Oh, yeah, all the time. But like, what is it? Because it's just too big or it's not a specific wood or? Well, uh, sometimes if it's a, a combination of materials. So like, obviously we don't do stone. So that, that kind of stuff is uh, beyond our control. If it becomes, uh, whenever you're. They whenever wanted a stone top? Or an inlay or a combination. Stone and wood. Yeah. Uh. Or, you know, the, like if there's a lot of detail in terms of metal and wood and upholstery in a piece it's just the risk factor goes up high because we have to outsource that stuff and then once you outsource it you know that stuff never lines up yeah and everything needs to line up so little things like that but within solid wood we probably and also a lot of designs aren't made for solid wood yeah and that's, that's another true. problem so there's sort of like you, you learn that like mark did where um wood has its limitations and you cannot, and you can't sort of promise the world. Like, like look at that table over there that has the metal trim around the perimeter yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, once you add in extensions to that, the metal doesn't line up perfectly. And so we've had to like retrofit that uh, and put it in the groove going forward so that it's out of the way, because you just have to sort of know the limitations of it. I'm fascinated by your pieces because a lot of them, there's a lot of stuff that you don't see that's yeah. attached to the actual piece, like you guys were pointing yeah. out to me in the back, that reinforce it and make it a better product and make it last because this table is going to be in the gen. It's, it's going to be in the family for a while. This isn't just like, you know, we'll get it for five years and that's it. It's done. Yeah. So you guys do a lot of little details underneath, structurally speaking, to and put it together. And we live in Canada. Yeah, so you guys deal with the weather. Yeah. You have to. And plus, people don't open up their windows. Yeah. So they, they keep their houses at a certain humidity level, which I'm sure just makes you guys cringe because you got wood going into this house now yeah. and also so, even the even like global warming in the summer and the 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 extreme extremes. temperatures and yeah. the humidity levels that was insane so you you saw back out back um something that you know used to freak me out it's when nature takes over and you have to work with it instead of against it and you saw we uh, had some metal 
frames underneath our big round yeah. table, 72 inch, well, a 72 inch round table can expand and contract, who knows? I mean, it could be inches. I, I, I forget what the, the numbers are now. It's, it could be a couple of percent from, from the mid midpoint to the widest to the smallest. And you have to be able to build a frame that works with it so the whole thing doesn't split apart. Um, the same thing happens in cabinets and you'll have joints that's breaking. But in the round tables, we put in this metal bar underneath with slots in it and screws that screw into the top. And then when the table expands and contracts, the screws can slide sideways along the slots, remain, the tabletop remains flat, but it expands and contracts naturally. If you didn't do that, if you just did like I did originally with an oak <laughs> frame and you put a big massive piece of wood underneath, you'd be fighting, the, you'd be fighting that wood and it would split. So recently, I think Oliver and I undertook uh, the interesting process of, of learning something completely new, which was working with epoxy. Oh, epoxy. I did see some of those. So you guys got into that game. But we got in from scratch. We got in very early. Okay. And Oliver said, well, let's make a table for my house. And, and we... <laughs> if we break it, we own it. <laughs> and we uh, uh, how was that first so you experience? You get some. We, you get some live edge wood with some interesting shape to it, and you can create little islands of wood. And in between, you have this epoxy, which is enormously strong. I mean, it's like steel and very workable. You can work it like wood. We learned about it. We bought the proper chemicals, and they take about three days three days to dry completely to hardness. And they have to sit inside of, uh, we made like a plastic box. So you put in, you make a plastic box that's supposed to be sealed tight. And they warn you that this stuff is very viscous and will just drain out. The so tuck we tried tape? To, hmm? The tuck tape. Mm -hmm. uh, to yeah, seal well, everything. Yeah. yeah. We tried to do that we, as well as we could. We did a good job of it. And then we put in the wood with some really nice shape. And then we created this epoxy mix and just poured it in to the frame, and it looked fabulous. And, and it, you know, as it cools, it gives off this heat off the top, so you blow away the heat from the top of it with a fan. And, and we watched it, and after we put it together the first day, I, uh, I was nervous about it. So I came back at, like, midnight to, to see what was happening with this table, which was a large table. It was how long? About eight feet, eight yeah. or nine feet? And, and I see that it's dripping it's oh. leaking out of one of the seams oh okay so it's so viscous it was impossible and we weren't near we weren't careful enough and it was dripping and i played around with it for hours meanwhile getting all that garbage all over my clothes and ruining that <laughs> um what, did you stop the leak i slowed it slowed it down i slowed it down or maybe i stopped it because eventually we end we ended up with a table <laughs> yeah it was it's kind of funny because we both like got our clothes covered in this epoxy, and this was like four years ago. You yeah. can't dry clean that stuff and out, man. No, no. And I'm and I'm getting <laughs> dressed for work like two months ago, and I see this <laughs> pair of jeans, and I'm like, I'm like, how come I haven't worn these pair of jeans? They're so nice. And I put them on, and I'm driving to work, and I'm on the DVP, and I feel my leg, and I'm like, oh, it's still got the epoxy on it. So I call up Mark, and I'm like. I still have those jeans, and it reminded me of that time when we decided to pour the epoxy. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. And I have it on my jeans. Yeah. And my wife, uh, 
My wife says, you can't wear those. I said, I love those jeans. <laughs> <laughs> did yeah. you let go of them? And I, no, I still wear them. You still have them. <laughs> but then you guys did it again, and the epoxy worked out perfectly. Oh, look at it. We've got beautiful samples on the floor. Yeah, like gorgeous I mean, it's samples. stunning. You know? I, find, I find epoxy to be mesmerizing because you can take these uh, pieces of wood that people would throw out, and they're not functional because they got all this gnarly movement in the live edge, and now you could turn it into a perfect rectangular table. And like those examples that we have over there, which is, we call it blue magic. In American Gangster, he used to sell blue magic crack. So we decided <laughs> to call it blue magic. And, uh, and old Frank, Frank, what was his name? Frank yeah. White. It was Frank White. I forget. I think his Frank. name is Frank White. Yes, I totally remember that. Yeah. yeah. Blue and magic, so, yeah. And so it sort of, it reminds you of the coast when you look at the the, the blue and the and the maple wood coming together. It looks like a shoreline. And, then, and on a steel frame, on a steel thin yeah. frame, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's impressive how hard it is, isn't it? You know, we can just cut it with a table saw, cut it to shape, and you can have your epoxy edge on one side and your wood edge on the other side, and they're... Equal. I mean, they're just. I gotta ask you guys: Do you have a favorite? Do you both have a favorite piece that you've made over the years, or no? It's you can't really choose a favorite. I have to say that, and these aren't my, you know, these aren't my designs. That some of the stuff that Oliver's doing now is better, is the best. Oh, thank you. But I guess your taste changes. <laughs> it right. does. It does. But I mean, is there one Oliver that kind of stands out for you? Um, I'm really into the the blue magic. Okay. The floating bed that we have now, which is also based on a design that I have in my house, is also really popular and I like it. So it's it's got like the headboard extends beyond the bed, and then there's nightstand drawers that float on top of these nightstand panels, and we build the headboard and the nightstand panels in one long piece so that the grain continues on. Oh wow! So you have so I think as big as a king. A lot bigger because you got the. It's about 82 inches for the headboard plus another 22 inches on each for side. The so you end up at about 126 inches. The headboard is 10 and a half feet. Yeah. Wow. And and so the grain continues on. So even though we have these seams where we cut it because we have to deliver it to somebody's house, I just really like when I see the wood character just travel all that distance. It's it's seamless and uh, yeah, uh, those are the two that right now I'm into. But as Mark says, your your taste evolves. I mean, see this it every is day, brand new. This Avoca table, and it might be one of my favorites. And one of the reasons is because the base, each base is a little different. Oh yeah, you've got the rounded corners and everything on the base as well too. I like right, that. Right, but they're different size panels. Use uh, there's some illusions that are created as you walk around it. Oh yeah. And the end of the table has a nice shape to it. I'm liking the. Um, the chamfered legs there on that one. Yeah, that's a new one too. I do like that. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening. But that's your there. that's your classic one. What's that what's that one called? The Metro Table. That's the Metro Table, right? Yeah. And I, I think I've seen that table as a twelve footer. And it's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, those are those are still top sellers and like what Mark was saying that some of these classic designs, I mean, they're still popular till this day. The Metro Chrome, that's the one that we've shipped to Australia and to norway yeah went to oslo wow that yeah that i used to think cool. we should advertise that in uh, in hong kong i thought there'd be a good market but i think that that ship has sailed <laughs> yeah <laughs> trying to get anything in a cargo ship these days it's oh, insane. i i know that you guys must be feeling it yeah positively 
because we're Canadian. <sighs> <laughs> so the other, so the people who are, who are buying the man, you know the mass manufactured stuff coming from China and somewhere. In, the in container the East. charges are insane. They're absolutely insane. Mark and I were listening to this podcast, and they were talking about how the container price went from twenty five hundred dollars from China to L A to twenty five thousand dollars. It's just, uh, and that's the norm. People are just accepting it, and you have to somehow talk about hiding the shipping, free shipping, and the cost. Yeah. You've got to hide that into the cost now. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is that that just sort of further hurts small businesses because it's only the big guys that can pay that. So these guys. It's are, true. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about maintenance? How do sure. we take care of these tables? So then, when up, you know, when we buy one of these tables, we bring it home. Let's talk about the typical adult situations here. So we get drunk and we spill all kinds of booze all <laughs> over it. We have a big dinner and we spill all kinds of gravy and food all over it. Yeah. But this is all like you're finishing and how you guys are doing it. You guys are doing it for these situations. Uh, yes, we are. But uh, there are limits. Limitations. To it. It's not like knives yeah. being thrown or stuff being dropped on. Yeah, it. like you work. could you could drop any liquid on this table. You could have a champagne party on it. That's not going to damage the finish of it. Yeah, it's um, a pretty short conversation. These are these tables last. I mean, you can leave wet glasses on them for twenty four hours. Yeah, it's they the won't hot stain. They won't no, ring. They won't. Never. It's the hot stuff you got to worry about. Well, it's wood. Yeah, so the, that's how you get the rings. I got a text from a customer from years ago, and I had to. She said, and she sent me a picture of a big, circ, you know, big white circle on her tabletop. What can I do about it? I said, well, I'm not really in the business anymore, but I'll give you my <laughs> advice. And I said... Uh, you pulled that card. <laughs> and I said, just leave it. It'll go away. And, and she wrote me back in a half an hour, and the white ring had disappeared. Magic. What was it? I don't know, Mark. What, what was, was it? it? It's moisture or something like that. It's heat. It comes out of the wood. I have a, I have a night table, a woodcraft night table beside my bed, and I'll put a... A glass of water beside, you know, on there, and I'll end up with a white ring, and it'll go away. It's just because it's the moisture from the glass, or or from the the condensation on the glass, yeah. or something. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And then you're still dealing with a natural yeah. element like wood. Yeah. And we used to have those problems and not be able to fix them. We were, used to look for solutions, but I think with our finishes now, we don't have that problem anymore. We don't. We have a we have a heavy duty finish that we use right now. So when we spray it, a lot of the material doesn't evaporate; it stays on the table. A lot so of helps. solids, high, very high, high solids, solids, higher yeah. than you. We and the table we're sitting at right now, this is actually an oil-based finish. So these ones, like they won't give you the same level of protection, but what they do offer is is that you can maintain them yourself, so you can reapply oil. So these ones are all oil-based. This o one oil finished. Yeah. But you can feel like this one over here is softer oh, and yeah, smoother, and sure this it one's is. rougher. Totally, yeah. So this is sort of like a, a a low, like it's almost like a dead sheen on this one. But this is what people are looking for. So everybody, so I mean, most of your products in here, I'm seeing a lot of satin finishes, matte finishes. Yeah, is yeah. what it is, right? Yeah, high gloss is uh, that, that, that's where you have a lot of trouble because you're polishing and it's polishing true. and polishing. I totally forgot to ask you guys at the beginning of the show, like, where did the name Woodcraft come from? How did that come about? A couple of friends, uh, were, we were sitting around, a couple of friends were sitting around, and uh, someone came up with Woodcraft and, and, and said, well, you might as well have a name that describes what you do. And that's what it does. And that's what it does. Yeah. Almost 15 years later. 50 years. Almost <laughs> 50 years later. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still so hard, hard to, to believe? believe. <laughs> but let me tell you, 
it's great, or I wouldn't be back here. I it's mean, true. I'm back here all the time. I'm out of the business, but anytime I see a, you know, a style, I, I send it to Oliver. I see, you know, a method of construction. I'm, I'm, I'm in all the time. I get the sense, Oliver, that does he go in the back and tinker away, or no? Oh, yeah. He but does. usually, sometimes I, I sick them on them in the back. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, sometimes, like, if it gets really crazy and we need to organize in the back, like, we need, like, an organization day, I get two of the young guys to go in the back, and Mark sort of tells them how to reorganize the place because we need space. Yeah. So constantly, well, when we get busy, everyone says, oh, there's no space. So the rule is there's always space. You just got to get creative. It's just like yeah. it's Lego or... Something like that. And so, I'm a bit crazy. I'll pull everyone off the job they're doing and get them onto. Yeah, so I have to sort of manage him a little <laughs> bit. I'll say you can come at this time on this day, and these are the people you can work with, because otherwise he's bringing in. I would take everyone from the shop and have them reorganize space. And start from scratch. Yeah, I mean, the work will always get done. But, you know, once you've got a, a reorganization, it's, it's so beneficial. I never even asked you guys, how long does it take? So when someone comes in and they put an order, yeah, um, in re in a regular world before COVID, yeah, it was eight to let's 10 go weeks. back to regular eight to ten weeks. Okay, yeah, now it's fourteen to sixteen weeks, double, yeah, not quite double, but something. But I like mean, that. fair enough. I mean, it just it's going to take longer. It's just that we're inundated with orders. There's just like there's there's there, there's so much to do, and it's a custom shop, and it's just uh, there's there's been pushbacks. Um, but uh, we, we keep go pushing along, and hopefully we'll get to a better place with the lead yeah. times. But, but people are used to it now because when, I don't know, in your industry, but if you're ordering stuff and it's going to, uh, that, that lead time Everybody's just ordering. That's all. They're just going, get order it. Give it to me. I want to get front of the line because right. uh, whoever doesn't order it, you're not at the front of the line. Yeah, and I, I mean, also I've heard that the places will say it's like 20 plus weeks, so they don't even oh. give you an end date. They yeah. just say at least There's no amount. certainty. Not nothing yeah. at all. So, so that sort of like has trained people when they come in here. They're kind of happy that we're giving them a starting and an ending point. Because right now some places are just giving you a starting point, which is pretty crazy. It was an interesting podcast on the Daily um, a couple of days ago about uh, that's from the New York Times about containers and the difficulty in containers. And they're making so much money on containers they're not even you know filling them up to send them back to the east because. It would just waste time. They might as well get them back, get $25,000. Really? That's what's going yeah. on? Yeah. So they're sending them back empty, and then they're creating these massive traffic jams Demands. in China to get in there. And all so they're these, sending them back Which is empty. hiking the price up to get it back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So they're just sending empty things. And also the whole PPE around the world, there's containers in all these random countries that... Uh, they wouldn't use, I wouldn't say random, but they're just not in their typical destinations because all countries need PPE. And so these containers have been pushed out all over the world and to get back to their normal routes takes time. So there's all these domino effects that are impacting sort of the global supply chain and who knows how much longer it's going to be like this. It seems to be a little worrisome for smaller businesses. They said bigger businesses will be able to send their own ships over. Um, if you get I know, but the small mom and pop shops, I mean, that's what every country and every generation builds. Yeah. Right. You know, the but they community. won't be getting product because it won't be they won't be in the containers because the big companies are taking up the taking containers. it all. Yeah. Well, that's just going to make your product that much more unique. So yes. if somebody really wants it, they're going to get it. I mean, is it fair to say, Oliver, that more and more people are making purchases 
strictly based on visual online and speaking to you, or are they actually coming and still kicking the tires to actually choose the product? It's definitely we're seeing more people comfortable buying things sight unseen. But even the people, like for us, like a long-distance order has, as we spoke about, a lot of risk involved. So even though somebody is comfortable doing it, we still want to FaceTime them, show them what we're talking about, send them samples, have them approve it. Because like if somebody says, I want this table and I want it in this color based off of a picture on a website on your monitor, for us, it's like that's still risky business. Very cause, risky. Because they'll say, that's not what I wanted. And then you're in a situation. So we'll take the order, obviously, but we'll send them a sample so that they can see it. And then we keep half of the sample here and then we'll use it as a reference for the order. So even though people are like, yeah, they'll buy things high unseen, we still want them to feel, touch, and see, even if it is 2,000 kilometers away. What else, guys? Is there anything else we got to chat about? I think we covered quite a bit. No, I think I think we we're did. doing pretty good. I just uh, want to thank you, man, for Oh, no for problem at all, man. Here. I love learning. I love meeting new people and getting an idea of different products and how things are done. So yeah. this directly affects my industry because you, you have clients that are constantly thinking about these things even before the first shovel is put into the ground. Yeah, we got a lot of people that are reaching out to us a year in advance sometimes doing research because they get excited, right? They want you to be done your thing so that they can come and jump into this. Yeah, And they want to source and they want to have things sort of uh, their ducks in a row. People put down deposits years in advance as well because they want to take advantage of lumber prices today and things yep. like that. And we don't put it into production until they give us a 16-week ahead of time. So uh, that's quite uh, regular as well. Anything else new in the future coming down the pipe? What are you guys coming up with or anything you could share? I think a lot more of the same. I think that at some point we might be opening up some stores in some other places in Canada. Out west kind of thing? Out west would be great. I think I would probably want to start uh, maybe a little bit closer so that I can get there more regularly mm -hmm. to be able to oversee and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sort of expanding our line and and just uh, for, for me, I'm really focused on the design element of it for a lot of the part because I think that uh, the target market that we have, if they see something that they love they're going to go for it. So for sure. making sure that things are current and that we can build more complicated stuff, uh, that would be great for us. Yeah, I think Oliver has, uh, I mean, improved the product all the time. I mean, now you'll have, you know, self-closing drawers and and higher quality hardware, and, and you know, throughout the product. The finishes keep improving. It's impressive that, it's impressive that uh, there's still room to grow. There always is. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much. So everybody, again, check them out at uh, www.woodcraft.ca, Oliver at woodcraft.ca. On Instagram, it's at woodcraft.ca, and the phone number is 905-475-2488. We got one last little segment. I'm going to change it just for you guys. So the All 12 right. questions of furniture, we could do it that way. What is your favorite furniture word? Both you guys, one at a time. Furniture word? Word. Why did you give this a, in advance? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Soft clothes. Beveled. Beveled? Mark, you must have something from the last 50 years of like some well, sort of... Well, you didn't give me any, <laughs> any warning. That's, that's I, mean, I always like the word ormolu, which I used before. What is it? Sorry? Ormolu, but it, 
it's just a, it's just a finishing technique using gold. All right, that's good. I, I like that. Yeah, Ormalu. I like the word. Ormalu, yeah. Ormalu. More sophisticated than bevel. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favorite furniture word? Okay, you know what? Let's change it to like wood. Wood. <laughs> least favorite wood? Oh, what? pine. Pine. Or red oak. I hate red oak. I can't stand red oak. No. Least favorite wood, Mark? I don't know. Maybe pine now. <laughs> you guys are just hate on pine, huh? What turns you on about wood? Wood grain. What is your favorite wood grain? That's not what Walnut. Walnut, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. What turns you off about wood? That it is a living, breathing organism that expands and contracts and is constantly moving and changing to the environment <laughs> around it, and therefore it is difficult to control. As we've learned on this all. show. <laughs> and yours, Mark? He covered it. Oh, he covered it all. Uh, what is your favorite curse word, guys? We've been clean on this one, so I'll I can bleep it out. I mean, a good old-fashioned fuck is great. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Too. You can't get wrong with yeah. that. Uh, what is your favorite vehicle? I like a Tesla. A Range Rover. Least favorite vehicle? <laughs> I drove a Lexus IS 250 for eight years, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> so <laughs> just because I drove it for so long, I'm ready to move on. I think in my whole life, I, I've never owned an American car. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Ever. But technically speaking, okay, so you don't have a Tesla. I mean, no. Right. Oh, okay. No, I I but no, Tesla is an American car, oh, wouldn't it? There you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, some of the old ones. I, I'm going back. The big three. Way <laughs> back. What wood sound or noise do you guys like? I know people don't like the sander. That bothers them. Um, some people do. I like the sound of when the extensions go into the table and they fit snugly and right. there's no issues. When so that connection, the that connection click, point, you know, snap yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. Is that always when you guys do that? Is that always uh, perfect certainty there, or is there always still a thought maybe it's not going to line up, bang on perfect? There's always a risk. <laughs> and, you know, you got that customer in and you're about to show them the extensions and, and then you, you do put it, it in and then you're time. just like, and then you start fussing around with it because you're nervous. <laughs> but so. but we're pretty good or else the table would come back to us. You know, oh, yeah. Anything we can complain about, uh, if we send it out like that, it's going to come back. So it doesn't go out like that too much. So what sound or noise associated with any of this furniture building do you guys dislike? Scraping. Scraping. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like most of it. He's nothing not, he's nothing bothers me. I, I, I can even, you know, don't mind the smells. He's still not over the fact that he didn't get these questions in advance. Before, that's the whole idea. It's supposed to be spontaneity. That's what it is. What profession, gentlemen, other than your own right now, would you like to attempt? Well, you're retired, so is there anything else that you'd like to do? I enjoy anything about small business. I mean, I love to... Uh, I love to comment and, and, and help people who are in small business by giving them my my opinions. Or, you know, if you're going to have a meal and they have lousy coffee, I like to let them know that. Or, <laughs> or, or Rightfully so. Or, or, or the mojito wasn't as good as it was last year. <laughs> now you're speaking my language. Okay. <laughs> I think that my wife and I, at some point, our dream is to buy a decrepit house and renovate it and sell it. In this country? It. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so maybe renovations, maybe do what you do. See if we can figure that out. All the best to you, Oliver. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what profession would you guys not like to do? Oh, that's easy for me, being an accountant. Accountant, yes. Yeah, I just don't want to work for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> and the last question, if heaven exists, what would you guys like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, I was a good person. I don't know. Well, welcome. There's more to this thing <laughs> than this isn't the end. That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> nice, nice. Gentlemen, thank you very much again for for inviting me back like into here and checking it out. And I, I love the tour and I love to meet you guys and talking about wood shop furniture. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah. 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 We really appreciate that you came out here. You reached out to us. You sort of communicated so well, so fast. Um, you're, you're a stand-up guy. We appreciate it. <laughs> Not too many people say that. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Everybody, just uh, once again, last time, uh, www.woodcraft.ca and Oliver at woodcraft.ca and on Instagram, woodcraft.ca and the phone number again, 905-475-2488. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you.